0: Hello and welcome. We are outside. You can hear noise running. This is Finham near Coventry and this is the fourth episode of the Making a Meal of It podcast from the Birmingham Food Council. In a minute I'm going to introduce Kate but first we're here with Emily Timmins. You are Head of wastewater Treatment?
1: That is correct Nick, yes.
0: At Seven Trent?
1: That is correct.
0: So where are we?
1: So we're at Coventry Sewage Treatment Works. It's one of the largest sewage treatments I look after. And we're here on a bright sunny day to talk about the wonderful world of sewage treatment.
0: What is it that we're seeing here? What part of the process are we in?
1: So we're standing right next to something called an activated sludge plant. And an activated sludge plant is a really important secondary treatment process, which we use to treat all our lovely sewage and return it safely back to the natural environment
0: sludge is what we would think of as very wet sloppy poo basically and it's interesting there's two tanks here one of which is running and is highly oxygenated this one in front of us though is flat what's going on in there
1: very good so there's two parts to an activated sludge plant do you mind if i call it an asp it's a bit of a mouthful do. <laughs> and um, what we're doing is in the first stage of the process is culturing the right bacteria effectively starving it getting it ready to go into the main treatment process which is the oxygenation process that you're seeing bubbling away like a bubbling cauldron over there and this process treats um, the sewage to an extremely high standard, which means that we can return it safely back.
0: So this flat bit is almost like a bug farm?
1: It is, that's a really good. I like to uh, think about it as like pre-drinks to a party. So they're getting, they're getting ready to go. And as soon as they hit that oxygen, the bacteria come alive, they do their amazing work in terms of the treatment, and, and it's good to go.
0: OK, it's an astonishing place. You've walked us around. The scale of the work is remarkable. Also the long-term thinking is remarkable, I think. it's You, you know you're going to be here for a long time. You know you've been here for a long time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, sewage treatment is an absolutely essential part of um, the service that we provide and we're always thinking about the long-term, not just for our customers but also for our wonderful environment as well.
0: So we're going to go inside again in a minute, but Kate, just so you brought us here, what on earth were you thinking?
2: Well, I was thinking two things. One, it's all the food that we eat but don't digest and some of the um, toxins that we consume as well end up here. So that is the end point, if you like, of the food cycle as far as we're concerned. And, of course, water is essential to every, every part of life. So growing food and drinking water for you and me.
0: Fantastic. Look, it's beautiful out here, but do you mind if we go inside, sit down and talk some more? Not a problem.
1: Not a problem. Look forward to
0: it. As you can tell, we're now inside. So, Emily, first of all, thank you so much. So, we've just had an an even longer tour. You had a brief two or three minutes. Where do you think you sit in the food system?
1: Now, that's a really interesting question. So, uh, if you think about the entire water cycle, I think we probably touch every part of the food chain so we take our wonderful uh, raw product so water from rivers and lakes around the area and um, of course that has a, a absolutely inextricable link to the natural environment so food producers farmers for example um, you know can massively impact that raw water quality so that's at the very beginning and then you come right the way through to that Wonderful product that's then treated is then sort of sent on to not just domestic customers, but trade customers as well So it's inherent in food manufacturing, but also in domestic use cooking and cleaning good stuff as well And then the back end bit, which I think we all shy away from a little bit Which is the the dirty end of the business, which is what we put down our sinks and our toilets Then has a material impact on what I then have to treat and then of course treat to a very high standard to send on to the rivers
0: and We've walked past what you call cake, which some of us might think of as compost. Others might think of it as it once was poo, basically. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I was thinking chocolate brownie, so it's really interesting that you went there. Um, but yes, so in, as part of our sewage treatment process, we actually have some um, products, some byproducts. And one of those byproducts is something that we affectionately refer to as cake, which is effectively treated poo. And it's amazing because it's got loads of organic uh, matter, it's got loads of nutrients. So that can be recycled onto uh, derelict land uh, to make it good or certain types of farmland. And then, of course, the second part of it is in manufacturing that wonderful cake and we extract gas from it. And that's then turned into amazing electricity, green energy, in fact.
0: Which you use to power this process.
1: And also other properties as well.
0: We're going to go and talk a bit more uh, in a minute about the risks of things coming towards you and the risks of things leaving you, if that's okay. But Kate, um, is that how you see 7Trent fitting into the food system?
2: Yes, I do. Yes, absolutely I do. Yes, it's at the beginning and end of everything.
0: You have the water that you need to treat coming to you. Mm -hmm. What are the risks in that as it's heading towards you that you have to be aware of, you have to manage?
1: I suppose it's something that people don't often think about: their sewage system and and their toilets and their sinks. But actually, what people put down the toilets and put down the sinks has actually a massive impact on our ability to safely treat sewage. So, for example, fats, oils, and greases is particularly big issue for us. Um, our sewage network was built in the Victorian times, and was built at a time when you know things like wet wipes and sanitary products and and fats, oils, and greases weren't weren't as prevalent, and so actually by inadvertently placing these things down the sinks and the toilets these can create things called blockages in our in our old systems blockages then can result in pollutions into our natural environment because the the sewage can't escape down its normal route so it's really curious to think about sort of how we've evolved as society but actually how our sewage system hasn't and we need to sort of readdress that balance and that is something that does does worry me so I think my call to action, if I had a moment, would be: please don't put fatsols and greases down the sink, and avoid putting wet wipes and sanitary products down the toilet. Pee, poo, and paper only, please.
0: Pee, poo, and paper. Just pee, poo,
1: and paper. I did mention a fourth one. Puke would be fine too.
0: Okay, all right. <laughs> so give me an idea of what's give us an idea of what's happening there then. So the wrong things we're putting the wrong things down at the toilets and our sinks. What are you having to do?
1: So what that result is, and I talked about a blockage, so a blockage in our sewage system, which means that sewage will back up the system into people's gardens, into um, public spaces and into their houses. And I have to send operatives to those places and physically manhandle that material out of the sewer network. And I'm sure there's plenty of 13-year-old boys out there that have heard about fatbergs. That's exactly the sort of stuff that I'm talking about.
0: And also we went past piles of the things that you know the wipes and the stuff so you're having to work at this end as well
1: we call it affectionately rags um, but it's all the nasty stuff that I've just been talking about Um, and that material then has to be screened out of the flow and then put into big skips and sent to landfill sites so we do have to work hard we have to do that because otherwise it would block our processes and and again cause environmental damage
0: so that's the risks that i guess we as consumers are creating for you um i'm thinking also farmers i mean what what other risks are coming at the water system towards you
1: yeah for sure so um anything that is put onto land as part of the the food system could potentially run off into our water courses and of course as i said rivers and lakes are our raw material it's the stuff that we take and we use and put a huge amount of effort in treating to a very high standard so if that balance is off that means that we have to work really really hard to maintain those standards Um, and so there is the systems view how we relate to the natural environment is really important to us.
0: So what sort of things what what is coming off the land?
1: So things like pesticides and fertilizers
0: So how would you manage, uh, can you manage that risk or do you just have to deal with it when it gets here?
1: Seven Trent's actually working really hard um, to work with landowners and the local communities because we do see it in that systems way. And we've got some really innovative stuff coming down the line in terms of sort of catchment thinking um, to try and mitigate some of that risk of those, those, um, I suppose, pollutants entering into the watercourses. So it's a, it's a partnership approach, it's not a, it's not a them and us, we, we are part of that total system and we want to work with catchments.
0: So what's your thinking there, just outline that a bit more for me, you, you, could, you could build a plant that treats it chemically or?
1: Or we can work with farmers to offset that by encouraging biodiversity, um, by encouraging um, strips and swales so that it actually um, catches the runoff before it hits the rivers as well. So they're the sorts of things that we're, we're talking to farmers about and, and uh, local groups about.
0: And are there any particular chemicals that you're concentrating on? Or?
1: There's plenty. It's quite <laughs> complex. But, you know, there, there's some stuff that I think we've probably all heard about, such as fertilisers and pesticides.
0: The, the, the trade-off here is, is what you would, you would actually... Would you rather pay farmers not to use these chemicals than pay to take them out?
1: I think it's a balance because we need everybody to be successful, don't we? So it isn't a case of stopping its use in totality, but actually using land in a different way, um, so that you know the the right amount is put on the land. But also, if there is the advent of runoff, that actually could be captured in in things like biodiversity strips and swales, for example. So I don't think it's a single solution. It's a partnership approach of working together to you know look after the total system and the total catchment.
0: Kate, I remember a long time ago you talking to me about the calories that come into Birmingham and the calories that leave Birmingham. Could you talk a bit, could you talk about that?
2: I can't remember the conversation, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, Yes, basically the calories coming into the city are twofold. One is the energy we use and secondly is the food we eat. Um, And the outflows are certainly um, you know, what we excrete and what we adjust. Um, the outflows too are in terms of industrial, in a city, in terms of industrial processes as well and the benefits of that. But then again, we're back again to talking about what industry does in terms of the effect on the water flows because industry, as we all know, it can create tremendous heavy metal pollutants which damage us Um
0: Hmm. so it, it's it's this idea that we tend to think of we're buying food we're consuming calories and it's you who made me realize and I learned today as well that calories are literally going down the toilet and down this system so you're and you're you're you are actually part of the world that sees it that way
1: we do yeah I mean my department's called wastewater recycling um and we absolutely see it in a in a way that is that we're returning a you know high grey product back to the natural environment in terms of the effluent that we produce but also in terms of the material that we receive and are able to recycle in different ways such as energy and fertilizer so yes we see value in it for sure.
0: And you were talking about the cake and the fact that it needs to be treated in different ways to get energy out of it Mm -hmm. so what's going on there?
1: There are a number of different stages to treating cake but I think the, the best analogy that I tend to use is a bit like a stomach So, um, and the bacteria in your stomach, so we create, in the same way that we talked about the activated sludge plant earlier, the process that we use to treat our cake involves um, digestion. And so we pop it in lovely tanks, create a wonderful environment for that bacteria, and the bacteria get busy, um, chomping away and creating all of those wonderful byproducts. Um, and then we add in a, an extra special uh, sprinkling of treatment, which is called thermal hydrolysis, um, where we apply a very high heat intensity to it to get extra energy out of it again.
0: So that's breaking it down in a completely different way to mm-hmm. release to release the energy that is stored up in it that our for bodies. Sure. Ultimately, this is energy that our bodies haven't found a use for. For sure.
1: Yeah. For sure. That's a wonderful way of looking at it. Mm.
0: It, is, it is fascinating. But mm. it's also it is genuinely fascinating how the whole system is tied up together. Um, okay. So, Kate, any other thoughts at this point? Uh,
2: yes, I do have another thought. And, and, and it's this one. Um, we think of ourselves as being us, but actually we're not. We're a colony. Most of the DNA in your body isn't yours. It actually belongs to microbes. Um, which is always a bit disturbing. You know, I'm not me, I'm a colony. And interestingly, fibre, which is an essential part of our diet, we get absolutely no calories from it. We get no nutrients from it. So why do we why do we bother eating it? Why is it good for you? It's good for you in two ways. One is that it helps the digestive process, and it's largely what, what we digest. The poo is very high in fibre. It's also... Um, Fibre is like a a bacteria farm, a microbe farm inside our gut. And so therefore, um, and there's good bacteria and there's bad bacteria. And what I think is interesting about poo is that it contains both good bacteria and bad bacteria. And there's some surprisingly interesting ways in which the microbes that we ingest that can be used for... For example, modern medicine, and I think that's really interesting. So it's not just that we're a calorie process, we're also a, a microbe process.
0: Emily, you're nodding.
1: Yeah, no, you know, so biology is my business, right? And actually, we, we discovered a, uh, a new microbe, actually, at Minworth Sewage Treatment Works, which everybody got rather excited about sort of fairly recently. I mean, it's wonderful when you look into the microscope of the... Um, you know, all the organisms that are having a party in my sewage treatment works, It's uh, who are doing, yeah, absolutely, doing the same thing as your gut in some respects. It is, it, it's mind-boggling. My favourite one, just in case you want to Google this, Kate, it's called a water bear. Thank you. I will Google it.
0: So, Kate, you were talking to me about somebody at Warwick and... Yes,
1: Ellie Jameson.
2: Okay. Who tell- doesn't know me, but I know her, of her, yes.
0: So tell us more about Ellie.
2: Well, Ellie... Um, is very interested in something called phages. I mean, everyone's heard of antimicrobial resistance, that in effect, you know, we, we take antibiotics to get rid of infectious diseases, and without it, modern medicine and a lot of operations just wouldn't happen. But the trouble is that the bugs who breed faster than we do are becoming resistant to these antibiotics. So, what are we, and it's a major, major crisis, not just in uh, human medicine, but also in terms of crop pathogens. Amazingly, there are these other microbes called phages, which are spelt with a P-h-a-g-e, And phages like eating bacteria. So they maybe, instead of actually taking an antibiotic, maybe will take a phage. And instead of there being a war between these two things, in fact, the phage would eat the dangerous sepsis or whatever had caused the, the problem with us. And I think it's it potentially will revolutionise medicine in the same way that well, antibiotics did, and that comes from well, it's been discovered in Minworth.
0: So that's that. It is—it's in your water or your no, not no, your it's water. Your water. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not in my personal water, no, Nick. It was yes, we discovered these at Minworth sewage treatment works
0: and i i have I heard that these used in Russia for example, instead of antibiotics I've heard that phages yes. some cultures use phages in the way that we use to a degree antibiotics I think Is they are not a direct substitute or are they
2: they they are just different and can be used instead of um I suspect I don't know this, but I suspect that the that there will be some folk medicines which will have de facto, used phages to deal with disease and illness. It wouldn't surprise me.
0: Mm. I'm going to ask you about the risks of what leaves you in a minute, but I'm also curious about... So, so you, you, how long have you worked here and how...
1: How rude com- of you to ask me that question, Nick. <laughs> so, I've worked at 7Trent a very long time. So, um, officially 24 years, but I actually did quite a bit of work experience here before I joined 7Trent.
0: And you clearly love what you're doing your enthusiasm for it is self-evident so uh, i'm interested in what was your what's your background how come you ended up passionate about
1: sewage treatment Mm. i know it's curious one um so i've always been um interested and excited about science in general and particularly the natural environment and when you look at the water industry, that's exactly what it is. It's is, it's science, it's engineering, um, and it's looking after our wonderful environment. Um, but I think the key thing for me is it, it's also badged up in this beautiful home, which is Seven Trent as well. And um, culturally, it's a fantastic organisation to work for. It, it's, it focuses very heavily on socially, socially purposefulness. These are all things that, you know, are close to my heart and key value sets for me too, which is why I've been here for so long. It, it truly is a wonderful place.
0: And also the scale. So give mm-hmm. give the listeners an idea of the scale of your team and what they're doing.
1: Yep. So I look after um, just over 1,000 sewage treatment works and 4,500 pumping stations from Scunthorpe down to Stroud, Paris across to Lincolnshire. And um, it's a team of about sort of 750 um people that work for me, so they're a mixture of operators, who operates who treatment works, um, maintainers, electricians, um, mechanical fitters, ICA technicians, process scientists, to name but a few. Um, and we have wonderful uh, graduate and apprentice intakes, so we're very conscious about um, bringing in the next generation into our organization and inspiring them in the same way that I felt inspired.
0: So give us an idea of what is leaving you and what what, what you worry about with that.
1: My whole objective in sewage treatment works is to discharge um, wonderful final effluent out out of the gate that enhances the environment. So to the standards that we're prescribed and it's doing all the good stuff that it's meant to do in terms of cleaning up our rivers. Now there are risks to our treatment process, and I've already mentioned a couple. We've talked about blockages and fat soils and greases. But also, you can imagine that um, the material coming down the sewer isn't always consistent. So we have a lot of trade waste as well. And some of that actually can be toxic to my lovely biology. You know, we work very, very closely with our trade customers just to make sure that we've got the right balance of things coming down the sewers as well. So because I don't want any risks or any issues um, that could have an impact on that lovely final effluent. The, obviously, the second thing is climate change, right? It's a massive hot topic. We've got COP coming up shortly. Um, weather has a big impact on our treatment process and the ability to, to deliver the service that I need to provide. So, you know, heavy prolonged rainfall, very dry spells, all have a material impact on that ability.
0: In what way? So y- you've got to manage that risk if it's dry you put more water in or less or what happens?
1: We we have to switch up our treatment process so actually when it's very very dry um, we actually have less coming in because our sewers in quite a lot of instances are actually combined that means that we have surface water that's water that runs off um, paths roads um, roofs um, in with the the drainage system so when it's very very dry we have less to treat um, and our treatment process will need to be switched up in order to deliver that if it's very very wet the same thing happens again we need to adjust and manage that
0: so I'm just trying to understand this because I sort of imagine so you've really got to be responding to nature all the time
1: for sure yeah
0: uh, and, and and actually, the way nature behaves makes your job easier or harder, or does is, is, it? It's not a question of easy or hard; it's just a question of.
1: Yeah, so I like a grey drizzly day. That's that's perfect for. Uh, it sounds utterly miserable, doesn't it? Well, actually, how about I like a grey drizzly day Monday to Friday, and then sunshine Saturday to Sunday because we we can't have grey drizzly days all the time. But yeah, I you know that's ideal for a water business that we have consistent rainfall. Um, you know, and it's not too warm and not too cold. The reality is, is that obviously we're seeing much more extremes on either side of that, you know, very, very dry or very, very flashy wet. And they're not ideal, but the treatment can cope with it. But we're we're constantly looking at ways to adapt.
0: You mentioned climate change. I have a much stronger understanding of the scale of what yeah. Severn Trent is doing. You and and your relationship with the environment is completely integral. It is. So where What's what's going on for Seven Trends when it comes to the effects of climate change?
1: Right, so we're talking much broader than sewage treatment now, so water scarcity, so, you know, in terms of water efficiency... Very heavy, prolonged dry spells mean that we need to take care of that precious resource so that we have enough to go around. The ability of our our sewerage networks to take very flashy, heavy rain. Um, You can see lots more surface runoff. Um, It isn't just a sewerage issue. You know, obviously, you've got sort of all of the parties involved in in flooding and having to come together to deal with that side of things as well. So, you know, it's both parts of the spectrum. It's how we use water wisely. And also then how we deal with, you know, pretty heavy rainfall events that are quite flashy that can cause flooding.
0: And are you, have you got any work planned? You were talking, I think, as we were out about about wetlands, for example. Mm-hmm.
1: Or... And I think this is more of the broader environmental question, which is, you know, what's 7 tenths contribution to net carbon zero, for example. So we've got a um, a commitment that we will be net carbon zero by 2030. Um, and that's looking at every part of our business, including mine, so mine sewage treatment. Um, but, you know, electrifying our, our vehicle fleet, our own internal cars, for example, um, looking at how we use our green energy, looking at how we um, manage our processes um, more efficiently. Um, it is every part of the system that we're looking at in order to deliver that net carbon zero, which we're, we're totally committed to.
0: And can I just actually cycle back around slightly to risk? So this is possibly less to do with what comes out of your plant, but you also supply, obviously, the food industry with one of their most important commodities, which is water. What is that relationship like? Do they just take for granted that they're going to get the right stuff coming at them, or are they testing you? What's going on?
1: Um, So we're a service provider, so I think, you know, why wouldn't they expect to receive the high-quality product that they need for For the food manufacturing industry so part of our service to our our trade customers is always to talk about water efficiency and um, you know which sounds a bit ironic doesn't it I suppose we're we're asking people to take a product we're also asking them to take less of it too but I think that's a responsible thing to do
0: lovely Kate you've been making notes what's on your mind
1: I
2: suppose one of the things Emily is is that If you were going to start from scratch and build um, a sewage treatment works for a city, or indeed a sewage system for a city, you wouldn't start where the Victorians started. you start somewhere else. So you're always having to deal with legacy systems. Mm -hmm. And one of the consequences of that is, as we discussed earlier, that when you flush a lavatory, you're flushing it with valuable, precious drinking water, which is, you know, it could be water that's you know from the washing up or whatever but the am am i right in assuming that the costs of different infrastructure to have a separated system is is it possible anywhere within your system
1: i think there are lots of possibilities and it's going to require um organizations to take a leap of faith and be quite bold so um i think Anything's possible, but expensive for sure. But you do more of it, it becomes cheaper. So I'll give you an example. Um, we briefly touched on the issue of um, combined sewers, which yeah. is surface water and and sewage combined, which is very much a Victorian legacy and and one with that we've continued. Um, we're blazing a trail to green up Mansfield, and actually look at taking out surface water from the whole of Mansfield with green solutions, and and that's a that's a really innovative investment with the combination of working with many many organizations not just ourselves in order to deliver something which is going to be a fantastic legacy for Mansfield but also is going to blaze a trail in terms of some of this thinking Um, and that's what I think some of these really knotty issues like climate change is going to require some big bold thinking and some trial and some failure too right Mm. so that we can all learn. So we're very excited about Mansfield. Very excited about the work we'll be doing there.
0: What sort of things will the people of Mansfield start seeing change or start seeing differently?
1: Just to give you an example, um, so not unsurprisingly, we've we've sort of got ourselves into, I suppose, a a view that. In order to create walking surfaces, they need to be paved or tarmac or mm-hmm. concrete, for example. You know, Mansfield will be looking at permeable surfaces, for example, and um, that's really exciting. And there'll be lots more green spaces and road gardens and, and places where water can naturally run into and actually soak away into the environment uh, uh, rather than soaking away into into drains.
0: It's been fantastic. It's We've been... covered
1: some topics, Nick. <laughs> we, have. You, you, we really have. It's been fascinating.
0: <laughs> anything else that's you know? Is there anything that what 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 this month has most been on your mind? Is there something that's been worrying you particularly?
1: Particularly, well, actually, it's a good thing, not so much a worrying thing, but a good thing. I'm thinking about my apprentice recruitment and my kickstarters, and so um, Seven Trent committed to. Um, 500 people uh, from the employment um, sector coming to join us for work experience and um, you know I've been looking at ways to fund more of those placements and encourage more young people to join the water industry and actually a more diverse um, perspective and more diverse feel to it as well so it's not been keeping me awake at night but something that I feel really passionate and excited about.
0: Brilliant. Kate what's been bothering you in the last couple of weeks? Um, it doesn't have to be.
1: No, well,
2: not a lot. I, th- I think, as ever, you know, sometimes people ask me, uh, you know, what should we do basically in terms of climate change and food and everything like that? And my response is always um, eat mostly plants, not a lot. Um, don't fly unless you have to.
1: And drink mostly water. Not gin. That's just, dis- Kate, okay. I really liked you when I met you. But gin is mostly water. <laughs>
2: uh, in small quantities. You don't drink gin like, you don't drink another pint. No, you're sure. right. And I think I would probably add something else in now, actually, which is treasure your loo. Treasure your loo.
0: Treasure your loo. Emily Timmins, thank you so much for showing us around. Thank you mu- so much. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and this extraordinary business, actually, that is working at such an amazing scale. Uh, You can tell I'm a bit bowled over by it. Kate, thank you, as always. Um, You can find much more thinking about food and food security on the Birmingham Food Council's website, which is birminghamfoodcouncil.org. And we are BHAM Food Council on Twitter. But for this, our fourth podcast, thank you both. And thank you all.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.